Hello, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Kato Ads, counsel at Lydian in Belgium. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers that practice on the ground in these jurisdictions and are working daily to help our local clients move through these difficult times. Today, we are visiting with our member firm in Sweden. Joining our program is Oasa Kottertsen, a partner with Vinge. The debates over the controversial gig economy continue to be front and center in Europe as we enter this new year. Esa will be providing us with a view of the gig economy in Sweden and whether there are any expected changes for the future. Welcome to the program. How are you today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. I'm happy to join this interesting topic. Yes, likewise. Very happy for you to join us here. So let's just kick it off. In Sweden, is is there a legal definition of a gig worker or a self-employed worker? And is such worker regarded as a consultant or as an employee? So no, there is no definition. And in fact, an individual can, in fact, only be either an employee or a consultant and cannot be something in between, which most people would perhaps say about the gig economy workers. And why I say that is because, you know, they have the dependency of the client, but they are also the independent type of category, which could choose where or when they work and so on. But no, as in many countries, our legal system is lacking behind the sort of the technical developments. I guess that's the same for many, many countries in Europe. From the podcast we've done already, that's at least the one thing I learned. And what do you think are the advantages of gig workers? Definitely the flexible working hours, I would say. So, I mean, from both sides. So having someone that basically works on a an assignment-based work rather than having a certain amount of hours that should be filled with work. And I would also say that, at least my interpretation, is that this is also a question of identity to some extent. At least in some sectors, there is an expectation to be able to work independently and, and when and where you want to work. And these individuals do not want to be employed and they don't want to work for just one client. So I think partly it's a question of identity and also, of course, the flexible working hours. However, as I said, in Sweden, you need to be sort of an employee or a consultant. And from the consultant point of view, the tax authorities would expect that individual to have their consultant company with a F-tax certificate and sort of an accounting of their own and so on. So it's quite, I wouldn't say difficult, but at least it requires some form of an administration to a certain extent which perhaps not is what the typical gig or platform worker would sort of expect to start off with. They just want to kickstart with work typically. So as in other countries, there are platforms and umbrella companies, which you could, as a self-employee, engage through for the end client. Yeah, I think that's a very good summary, right, about the gig economy, because they're all very interested because of the flexibility and because it's so easy. But then again, being a very, like a real independent worker and having to carry out all of that administration might be a bit of a a burden for some. Do you see any pitfalls with the gig economy? Yeah, so, so typically I would say that what we see in our work, so clients typically being 
the ones that hire workers is that they haven't really thought or spent enough interest in what will happen with the rights to the work results or who actually control the result or the the right to publish. If you have a influencer, for example, do you have control over the content of, of that material? So that is a question that we often get. And also, I would say compensations. So do you work for an hourly fee or is it a project-based fee? Also, liability could be something that becomes a question. So if something happens, who has the liability for that? And two more questions is termination. So termination meaning do the client has the right to terminate the assignment? And to what extent is there a legal requirement to, to fulfill? And also it could be work environment issues connected to, but that also depends on, on which type of work or sector this work is within. I just realized I didn't mention collective bargaining agreements because that could also be something that actually prevents the client from using hired workforce, either temporary agency workforce or actually also self-employed contractors. Very interesting. I think actually the biggest benefit seems to be one of the pitfalls as well, right? Because they want flexibility and then they just jump into it without asking all of these questions that good employment lawyers would ask their clients. Yes, exactly. And that's actually also what we found when we make like due diligence for companies in our business. We find that there are so much more use of consultants than than what, what we from sort of a legal point of view would expect because people think, even Swedish people, so this is not like weren't just working in Sweden thinking this, but also Swedish citizens think they can just choose to be consultancies. And that's not the idea from the Swedish tax authorities. They think that that's sort of a a certain category of workers. But the main principle is that you should be employed and get salary, basically. So that's also quite usual finding in our DGs that we say that the terms of this relationship make the relationships being an employment relationship, in fact. I think that's very similar to Belgian law. And, and I mean, it's really wanting the best of both worlds, right? Being uh, yeah. Having the same protection as an employee, but then again, having the freedom that an independent contractor has. And also, I would say, so from a Swedish tax point of view, we, we have a quite high income tax in Sweden. So therefore, certain individuals might might also think there is a tax benefit with being a consultant. And that is also what could be a pitfall and perhaps that's also the next question is whether there can be a misclassification, a risk of misclassification or re- reclassification. And, and that is true. So the tax authority could say that we don't consider this to be a contractor's relationship. And therefore, six years back, we could ask the client to pay social security fees of 30 percent or more, even more actually than 30 percent of the remuneration being paid. And on top of that, there could be tax surplus as well. So it could be quite expensive to hire a consultant when that individual, in fact, is working as an employee. And I guess the risk is with the employer, right? Or can that partially be tilted to the employee as well? So normally in a consultant agreement or from if before we have had this gig economy, you could say the risk was less real because if a consultant has an F-Tax certificate, which is a Swedish certificate for a contractor, then there's actually less risk for the employer or the client that has assigned the contractor to have the tax exposure. 
But in this case, you typically would see freelancers which don't have this FTEX certificate. And in that case, the employer in this case would have all risk. And is the will of the parties in any way relevant? Can it affect the assessment? So from a tax point of view, no. Then actually the, the will of the parties is completely relevant. If there is inspection, then the tax authority can just decide based on the circumstances that this is not a contractor, it should be qualified as an employee or an employment. But from an employment point of view, we don't have, as in other EU countries or in some EU countries, we don't have an, an employer or an employment authority that would say that this is an employment. So in that case, you might say that as long as the parties is an agreement that the setup they have agreed to is to satisfaction, there will not be a reclassification from an employment law point of view. But typically, when our client says to the, the gig worker that, thank you for your work, we'll let you know if we, we need anything from you again, that individual will say, no, I'm an employee, I will come on Monday <laughs> to, to continue to work. There we have a situation whereby the agreement might say one thing, but the contractor has found out that that individual could claim an employment. And then the will of the parties or the previous agreement of the parties will not really make a difference. Very interesting. What I understand is that there can be a difference from an employment law perspective and a tax law perspective, which I think is quite unique. Yes, exactly. It is split because so if the tax authority would say we consider this to be or this should be taxed as an employment and with income tax, the contractor could be unsuccessful in a dispute regarding whether the employee has a right to continue to work from an employment point of view. So, yeah, it is uh, quite unique, I think. Okay, that's not the same in Belgium. Uh, It's either one or both routes, but. What is also relevant is the, the will of the parties. So if there isn't a contract somewhere that they wanted to work together on an independent basis, that will at least be taken into account as one of the criteria to see if it's an employment or a self-employed person. Does employment law otherwise apply to gig workers, such as, let's say, some protections they have, uh, certain mandatory benefits that gig workers must receive? Are they protected against discrimination? Only if they do work as an employee. So typically, if they work through such umbrella companies, as I described, they would gain such rights because they would be seen as employees of that sort of umbrella company. And the client would be seen to hire the individual through that company. Otherwise, if they would do work as a contractor or a consultant, no such laws would apply. And there's a very huge difference also in from a Swedish perspective. Our laws are famous for containing a strong protection for an employee. So you either have like the full package of being protected from termination, being protected from discrimination, and, and also entitled to quite a lot of annual leave, for example, and so on. And as a while as you as a contractor don't have any of those rights, of course, you shouldn't be discriminated against from sort of a contractual point of view. But Still, the client or a principal doesn't need to base any termination on any grounds. So you would never know whether you were discriminated against, basically. So you have either no such rights or basically all rights. That's also very similar to Belgium. And I guess we or our laws as well are very famous for being protected of the employee. So welcome to Europe, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion. 
Win Europe will certainly continue to be in front of this issue and update our listeners on new developments. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with Oasa, please click on our bio in the description of this podcast. Also, search the ELA website at ela.law, where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Kato Aerts. Thank you for listening.